Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 is the text for today, and yes, this is a very long passage of Scripture, especially within an epistle to cover on a Sunday morning. So we're not going to go as deep as most of the time I normally would with, with this section of Scripture, but there's an overlying, overarching understanding in, in this passage that I want us to get this morning that's going to... Um, just out of necessity causes to have to cover all 16 of these verses. So uh, we won't go as deep, as I said, as we normally would, but I want us to get this overall picture. And so let us read the text together, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. Father, may we this morning come to your word humbly. May we come to it with open and receptive hearts and minds to what your spirit has to say to the churches this morning. Father, I pray that you would empower your word as it has been written And it is known in truth this morning. May your people hear you this morning. We don't want to hear from a man. May they hear from you this morning. And may your spirit strengthen and empower each individual here to apply the truth of Scripture to their life appropriately. All to the glory of Christ. And Christ Church says, Amen. The story has been told of a wealthy man who gave his son and new bride a a Bible as a wedding gift. 
in giving, he said, everything you want and need is contained within this book. The young couple thought to themselves, surely the real gift must be coming soon. They were hoping for a large sum of money from their wealthy father. A year passed, nothing else came. Though various, through various times of meeting, it became increasingly clear to the man that his son and daughter-in-law were becoming discontent and unhappy with him. One day he came to their home to settle the matter. He asked that they bring him the Bible that he had gifted them. After a short discussion, the young couple finally remembered where they had stored it. The man opened it from the center and withdrew a check for $1 million. He then tore the check in half, gave the Bible back to them. He says, there, now everything that you need is still within this book. In our passage before us this morning, God God explains through the Apostle Paul that the Lord Jesus has given gifts to men and women to equip them for the service of his body to the end that they would be built up in love and perfectly unified in him. If you're taking notes this morning, I, I titled the message, A Unique Unity, A unique unity. Number one, we're going to look at Christ's unifying gifts. That's going to be verses one through six. Number two, Christ's unique gifts. And number three, Christ's purpose for both of those gifts. Let's look at one through six. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, that is the apostle Paul, he actually wrote this in prison, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. It is common in Greco-Roman rhetoric in communicating truth to first give a bunch of information, statements of fact, and then in light of that information, here's what you do. That's the section that we come to here. He has given this body of believers a lot of information, a lot of statements of fact, who they are in Christ, that they are firmly rooted and grounded in him, and now... This is what you want to do in light of that information. That's where we find ourselves this morning, giving that information to us and what we are to do with this knowledge of knowing who we are in Christ. He starts off by giving us what the unity is, the unifying gift that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has given to his church. He says in verse 4, there is one body... Yes, you all know. (laughs) There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all. Isn't it wonderful to know that you are bound, completely bound together under one thing and one thing only. That is your common salvation. You can go into any church in the world and you step inside that body of believers, they're gonna have one common thread between them. There may be all the colors of the rainbow sitting there. There may be all different kinds of walks of life, young and old, but there'll be one common thread with all of them. And that's what this is, their salvation. All are unified in Christ. The Lord is the common giver and effector of that salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have, you have repented of your sin, you have put your trust in him, you are unified in him. 
no matter your background. You, you can be with the Apostle Paul and you can identify and say, I am the chief of sinners. Or you may be one who could say, I grew up in the church. I knew I was a sinner and I needed salvation. You could be five years old. You could be 100 years old. You are all bound together by a common salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ has purchased that salvation for you. Not one of you can say, today I am saved according to my goodness, according to my stature, according to anyone I have known. Today, if you are a believer, you can only say, it is because the Lord Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin, period. There is no and, and there is no but. And the apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3.28, he says, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there is no free man. All are one, male, female, whoever you are, are one in Christ. You know what that does for everyone in this room? Puts us all on an even playing field. From the pastor who proclaims a message every, every Sunday morning for, from this place to the nursery worker, to the man or woman who scrubs the toilets. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are equal, equal. He gives us some markers of that unity here, things that, that uh, identify us and who we are. He says there's, there is one body. There is only one body of believers. That is the church. You are either part of that body or you are not. You are either in or you are out. I'm going to tell you this morning, you can be sitting here and you can be out. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ and have not turned from your sin and turned to him as your only way of salvation, you're not in. You may be in this building, but you're out. You can be in. Turn to him and you will become part of one body. There is only one spirit, that is the unifying spirit that's in each one of you believers here. No, he is not. Each of you has a different spirit. No, it is one spirit. The omnipresent spirit of God, God the spirit is in each of you. That is a unifying quality. You have only one hope of your calling. If you are a, a believer here this morning, you have received the gospel message at some point. And you have turned from your sin and turned and put your trust in the Savior. You are unified within that calling in that God did not leave you alone. How cool is that? Remember where you were when you were alone. Remember where you were when you were outside of Christ. I don't want to be there again. Never want to go back. Remember who you were. You have a unified calling. He did not leave you alone. He called you effectually Someone either proclaimed that message via radio, via verbally to you, or you could have picked it up and read it yourself and God converted you through that. But at some point, he called you to himself through that message. It is a unifying calling that we have, a hopeful calling. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, we have one Lord. That is Christ himself. He is, he is the only way. I was talking with a, a brother in one of our other meetings time, meeting times, actually yesterday, and he said, Jesus was really narrow-minded. That's absolutely right. Jesus was the most intolerable person on the planet, I think is what my response was. That's exactly what he was. He said, there is one way 
and I'm it. That's the definition of intolerance. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. You will never make it to the Father without this one Lord. Unifying. There is one faith. That is not the faith that we put our trust in him, but rather the body of doctrine that we believe once delivered to all the saints, according to Jude chapter or Jude 3. You know the truth of the scripture is that body of doctrine. We have one body of doctrine. We don't have new doctrine coming in. We don't have new revelation coming in. No, if you want to know what that body of faith is, pick it up and read it. It's very simple. It's found in one place. There's one baptism. You are to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all there is to it. You are to be found to die with him in the waters of baptism and identify with the church as being raised with him and I will follow him all of my days and now I submit myself to you, the people of God, I'm under your judgment now. You get to look into my life and help me walk through these things. Baptism, you identify with it. One baptism. There is one God and Father. With the Son and the Spirit here, the Apostle Paul includes God the Father to create this perfect unity that we, are, that we are identified under, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. All three of them together, completely unified. So with regard to salvation, there is no distinction. You go out here and every single believer, there is no distinction with regard to salvation. That just salvation alone, for each person here, there's nothing really special about you except that. That alone. However, point two, with regard to Christ's unique gifts. Let's look into this, verses seven through 11. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself who also ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Don't overlook the beginning of verse 7 there, that one simple word that we normally call a conjunction, it's a strong adversative, the word but. Christ's relationship to the whole of church is now paralleled and strengthened by his giving of unique gifts. He has given the one single, single unifying gift of salvation, and now the text says to us, but parallel to that, strengthening that, he's given unique gifts. Oh, now we see some separation, some unique things going on here. He's given individuals, he says, but to each one, each one of us, grace was given. I want you to say something with me. Unity is not uniformity. Say that. Unity is not uniformity. You are unified in Christ, but you all look very different. <laughs> I look very different. And I'm not talking about skin. I'm just saying in the things that we do, the, the passions that we have, the, the things that fire us up, very different, very unique. Very interesting to hear and to listen to the unique giftedness that God has given to people. 
Thus, Paul now transitions from the unity within our common salvation to the uniqueness. Now, I want you to focus on that, but grace was given. So really, grace, grace if, you're to, if you're to summarize the gospel, this, this is it, one word, grace. If you were to summarize the gospel in a single word, it's grace. Grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. And in the context, undeserved favor from God. That is the gospel. He did not have to leave the throne room of heaven to come and pay for your penalty that you deserved. Didn't have to do that. It was unmerited, undeserved. While, will you, while you and I, we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. We're still sinners, unmerited, undeserved. Ephesians 2.8, previously the apostle Paul said to him, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God. You don't deserve a gift. When you give a gift, it's not because a person deserves it, it's because you want to give them something out of the kindness of your heart. Whatever circumstance they are, whatever the case may be, it is because, not that they deserve it, but because you want to give it. That's the heart of God within grace. If you are a born-again believer today, it is only because God is a gracious giver. Only. He had no other reason to do it other than he wanted to be kind to his creation. Love motivated him. So we should expect our individual gifts to have the same term attached to it, gracious, grace, kindness. It's identified in the same way, and it's identified in this way with regard to Christ. He says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, now what gives, right, what gives Christ the right to give gifts? Well, he earned the right, right? He has earned the right to give gifts to men. Now, we'll look at a little bit of context here. In ancient times, when there was a conqueror who went out and conquered a people, he would also set the captives free. This is a loose quotation of Psalm 68 that the Apostle Paul has given here, just to give illustration of why Christ has uh, been given the right to give these gifts. Christ came to earth and he conquered sin and death, did he not? He didn't stay in the grave, right? No, sin did not have the power to actually hold him. He rose from the grave, overcoming sin and death, that his sacrifice was proven to be good enough because he didn't stay there. That, that's how it was proven. If he would have died on the cross just as a, a man and a, a common criminal, he just would have stayed in the grave like everybody else, right? no. The grave could not hold him because it had no rights over him. He had no sin. And so in him conquering sin and death, he is given the right to give gifts to men. And that's exactly what the conqueror would do. When they, when they come back, they would pro, do, lead a procession through the city, and the captives that they have set free would be given various gifts, but also he would be given gifts to his, his other people that were part of the, uh, the ones that were in subjection to him. He would pass out gifts to them. So Christ, having conquered sin and death for you and for me, instead of stopping there and taking every one of us to heaven, which would be okay, right? Upon salvation, going straight to heaven, I think that'd be pretty cool. But instead, he has a different plan, right? Right? 
And so he has given gifts individually and he has given them for a purpose. We're gonna look at that purpose here in a minute. But what we need to focus on right now is that not only has he given gifts, not only has he got the right to actually give those gifts, but it says that he has, according to the measure of his gift, given them to you. Now, the, to understand this term measurement, really what it means is, is I want you to picture Christ in his chemist lab. And he's doing his, his mixing of all these different things in there, or you can picture Somebody, a really good chef who's adding the seasonings just the way they need to be for it to be perfect. Christ is there mixing all the giftedness that you have individually in the exact measures for the exact purpose of what he wants to accomplish here. Now, what does that mean for you in the immediate? What that means for you is your gift is not for you. Mm-mm. No. You'll find some spurious groups in quasi-Christianity now claiming my gift. This is what I do. The Lord gave this to me for my own special relations with him. No, no, he measures it out perfectly, and we're gonna see here in a second for a very specific purpose, and that purpose is not for you. It's not for you. Your giftedness though you may experience some form of benefit from it. When I, when I studied this passage in preparation from the, for this morning, I received benefit from that, from the study of it. However, my giftedness in the proclamation of this message, it's not for me, it's, it's for you, for the people of God. Likewise, your giftedness is not for you to operate in and to function in and then take praises for and keep it all to yours. No, what it is, is for the edification of the church, for the growing of the church. I get ahead of myself. Let's move on where we are. According to Christ's measure, first, first Peter puts it this way. He says in first Peter chapter four, verse 10, as each one has received, each one, has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold grace of God. A manifold, you all know what a manifold is. It's got multiple ports coming out of it and a single one coming in. That single port is its source of flow, whatever the case is, but those individual manifolds are being distributed out to the various places. If it's heat, it might be heat. You know, only about heat. If it's air conditioning, it's, it's going to the various rooms. It's distributing. Likewise, with your gifts, you individually have been given them, and it's meant for distribution. It is not meant to be keeping for yourself. Your gift is not determined by your personality, your preferences, your abilities, or any other internal force, but rather is endowed by Christ's measure. You may be gifted in certain ways when you come and come to, the, come to faith in Christ, but this specific gift is something unique. It may be strengthened or maybe even a little modified by those things that you bring to the table, but it is unique and different. Unique and different. Spiritual gifts should seem like snowflakes to us. There's no two that are alike. Christ's manifold individual giftedness comes to you personally in a unique way for something specific. Let's move on, verse, sorry, let's look at specific individuals who are gifted. 
First of all, he says, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, actually, verse 20. I want to make sure that we cover this. Ephesians 2.20 says this, with regard to the beginnings of the church. The apostle Paul says this to them. He says, having been, let's look, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, so now you're within the household of God. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. And here it is, having been, past tense, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. That's the foundations of the church. In relation to architecture, the, the cornerstone, the way that it used to be said, is it was the, the first one in a foundation. It had to be uniquely placed in a certain way that everything that came up from that cornerstone was set in the exact order that it needed to be. That's what Christ is. Everything that is built upon Christ is built in such a way that if it is not rooted and grounded on top of him, being solidified in him, all the mortar and everything that attaches him together, oriented to where he is, you're going to have a crooked building. You're going to have a crooked foundation. The, the finishers, the sheet rockers are going to be really upset with you. <laughs> if you're not orientated with where Christ is, you're going to end up crooked. So Christ is the, the cornerstone. There's no other cornerstone. There's only one. You don't put another cornerstone down. Similarly, we move on to apostles as being as gifts to the gifts to Christ's church, and he gave some as apostles. Apostles, how many, how many foundations do you need for a home? Just one, right? So we shouldn't expect to see more of these out there. If the foundation has been laid, if their main purpose was for proclaiming God's message of receiving special revelation, of recording it, of it being authenticated by signs and wonders, of those 13 being visible uh, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, why in the world should we think that we see apostles today? They're all disqualified because they don't meet those. Somebody tells you that they're an apostle, take them to the list that Scripture has of the things that they must um, qualify under for them to be an apostle. Prophets are very similar as well. Prophets given as gifts. These are New Testament prophets. They were actually subject to the apostles' teaching. Most often, the New Testament or uh, uh, prophet, they would, they would proclaim either what the apostles' teaching were, but sometimes they did receive special revelation as well. Most of the time, they were just there for the encouragement in the word for the people of God. What do the people of God need for the encouragement now? <laughs> it's done. It's completed. We have all that we need for life and godliness. No need for a prophet today. I am not a prophet. I am a preacher, I am a pastor, I am a teacher, but I am not a prophet. These prophets of Old Testament, they had to be authenticated by signs and wonders as well as prophecy coming true within their own lifetime. If any of these things weren't present or they actually prophesied contrary to what was already written, they were to be killed. You have a prophet, so proclaimed prophet today, say, are you willing to say what you're saying 
with the knowledge that we're actually going to kill you if you're wrong? How many prophets would you have among you? Now, let's move on to more present-day stuff. We have, we have evangelists now, and some as evangelists and pastors and teachers, evangelists, it's, it's very sim- simple. It's within the name. Their job is to proclaim the message of good news. That, that's, that's their job. Do you have people that do that today? Absolutely. Every one of you on some level is to do what Timothy was commanded to do by the Apostle Paul, to do the work of an evangelist. Now, there is a very specific gift here, though, where God has gifted the church with actually evangelists, men who, and women who are gifted specifically in seeking out opportunities. You, you can't keep the gospel off this person's lips, <laughs> You may even find yourself somewhat annoyed with them when you're going to some event with them and they're off talking to someone about Christ. Well, we're supposed to be going to do that. They just want to talk to someone about Christ. They want to see people converted. They're fired up about it and you can't stop it. Evangelists are key to not only numerical growth, but most importantly, conversion growth within your church. Key to it. Everybody can do the work of an evangelist. Philip was called an evangelist. Timothy was told to do the work of it. God is actually listed in Hebrews as, as an evangelist when he proclaimed the message to, um, uh, to Abraham when he said, all the nations of the earth will be, will be blessed through you. Angels are uh, seen as evangelists where they're proclaiming that message to the shepherds in the field that Christ is born, the Savior of the world. So doing the work of an evangelist is collective. That's just... That's just your mandate. This message that you are so thankful that you have not only received, but have been all the sin in your life that has been forgiven and, and the wonderful blessings that come, you want to tell people about it. The one who's been forgiven much, um, he's, you can't keep him from talking about it. He's excited about it. People don't want to hear it, of course, because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. We don't know when the day of salvation is for any individual, but that's not for us. The Spirit, spirit converts. The, the Spirit is the one who is going to quicken their, um, their spirit to actually want to desire to believe. That's not for us. We, we don't need to do that. All we are is a mouthpiece. All we are is a mouthpiece. We proclaim that message. So evangelists are super important. Then we, then we see pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers, their, their job is very simply minister the word of God to the people of God, publicly and privately. If you were to put just a simple job description for your pastor within this church, minister the word of God to the people of God publicly and privately. There are subsets of that, but that's the foundations of what they do. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, elders, shepherds, pastors, teachers, overseers, they're all used interchangeably. I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. There's oversight with regard to that, teaching right doctrine. 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. In Hebrews 17, let your leader submit to your leaders, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This is what your shepherds, your pastors, and your teachers do. They keep watch over us and prepare us for something. Shepherds and teachers are to feed and protect, not corporately only, but privately as well. They should be in your homes. You should invite them into your homes. You should be into their homes. 
privately as well. There's only so much you can do on a Sunday morning. Small groups are going to help that as you guys develop that and everybody starts to get on board with it. You'll be able to do more of the, the private learning and studying together. There's just only so much you can do on a Sunday morning. So what is Christ's purpose for these gifts? Let's look at this. Christ's purpose for the gifts. Verse 12, for the equipping, for, that is, this is what it is for, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So those, those three gifts that were listed there, or two, if you will, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they are, for the purpose, their gift was given to the church is to equip who? Saints. Who's the saints? Believers, Believers right? Saints are not some dead guy that's been venerated. Saints are anyone who has put their trust in Christ. So the gifts that Christ has given to the church with regard to, to leadership and leading the saints and equipping them is pastors, teachers, and evangelists so that who's going to do the work? The saints. The saints. My friends, I don't know you all that well, but don't wear out your pastors. <laughs> Their primary duty within the teaching and preaching of the word is to equip you. It's to equip you for work. It's not to equip you to look as you do on a Sunday morning, which you look really good, by the way. Their task as pastors, teachers, and evangelists is to equip you to make you fully perfect and complete to do the work at hand. That work at hand is as varied as what we talked about with regard to Christ's gift to you. Each one of you individually has been given that special gift, and you are to employ it in service. Your pastors and teachers and evangelists have been given to you as a gift from Christ to equip you to be able to do that. And they should be very intent and very focused on making that happen. That's their task, that's their job. And as I've looked at the job description in this new pastoral position you're trying to hire, he's going to be directly involved with that. And we're super excited about that for you guys, whoever it is, whether it's me or someone else. That is a primary function of the pastors and teachers of any body of believers that wants to grow. They must be equipping you for the work of service. If they're just here regurgitating things that they've learned and what they know, there may be some growth that happens with you internally, but you are not going to grow. You're not going to be strengthened. You're not going to do what the word here says that we should do, and that is verse 13, until they're doing this, until, that is, it is going to happen in this life, if it is done, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Remember, that's that body of doctrine, part of the teaching and preaching of the word, and part of you functioning within your roles. It's going to bring you to unity, because you're going to put into practice all the things that you're learning. You're going to be unified in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's really the goal, right? We want to know him. We want to know him more and more. And to a mature man, when we raise our children, we don't want to raise children, right? We want to raise adults. They're not going to stay children forever. We want to make mature manhood, womanhood, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, that's the goal. You should be striving for that as a church, together with one another. And that one another time, yes, 
it can happen, but in very short spurts once a week here in this service. It's not what this is designed for. You need to come together at different times. In the early church, they came together out of necessity and out of desire. Necessity because of persecution. Desire, they had nowhere else they would rather be. Nowhere else they'd rather be. In an affluent society, in an affluent culture, this is really hard to do because your time is consumed with a lot of stuff. There's just a lot of things going on. If you're not, if you're not intentional to make these times happen where you come together in a more private setting, you're not gonna do it. You have to sacrifice something. You have to say, is it worth it? You have to come to that conclusion. And if it's not, it'll just be Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But if it's worth it, you'll sacrifice what it takes to come together so that mature manhood can happen, mature womanhood can happen in Christ. How are bodybuilders strengthened? Eating potato chips sitting on the couch? No, exercise, right? Maturity, strengthened, uh, to be strong. Um, Verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part does what? Causes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love. There's only so much growth that's gonna take place if you're relying on a couple of people to do the work. That is not God's design, that's not God's intention, and when we do not function within our own giftedness, we're actually despising the gift. That's no good. Because according to scripture, he has given you a gift, and if you're not functioning within that gift, you're saying, thanks for the blender, and put it in the corner. Or, with the illustration in the beginning, everything that you need, Christ has given you. You just need to open it up. Open up together, learn together, study together, grow together, and that is going to happen in a smaller setting. Here is where you will learn to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I I have listened to multiple sermons from this pulpit, and you have a man who is leading you in that way. You have men who are leading you in that way, and that's wonderful. But you need to get down to the nitty-gritty, and that's gonna happen in a smaller setting. You're gonna grow not only in yourself because you are exercising your gifts, the body at large is gonna grow because you're exercising your gifts as Christ would have you to, but you are going to grow numerically because the more you are exercising your gift, the more you're seeing your brothers and sisters grow, the more you're gonna wanna add people to it. The more you're gonna wanna see Christ glorified in the unbeliever as they come in repentant faith. So I encourage you that this morning. Maturity is the goal. Maturity is the goal. Work toward that maturity as you love one another, as you get into people's lives, as you get into one another's lives, exercising those gifts that he's given you. Don't hide the gift. 
If you don't know what it is, you got a group of pastors that would love to help you figure it out. Just try different stuff out. You may find the nursery's not for you. <laughs> you may find something else is for you. Just try different things out. Let them put you in places where you can serve. But the point is, serve, and Christ will reveal it. He'll reveal it for you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and its absolute truth. And all we need to do is read it, and we can know and understand your will for the church as we read and understand it. Lord, through your spirit, as we are empowered to do the work of the ministry, to be involved in one another's lives, to watch you grow your church, what an amazing privilege that is. Lord, may we labor diligently as if it depended on us, knowing that it wholly depends on you. Lord, may we labor for you as unto the Lord in all that we do, serving one another in love to grow to maturity, and of course, all to the glory of Christ. Amen.